Welcome to the No Shame on You podcast, where we talk to mental health professionals, educators, and advocates. No Shame on You is a 501c3 organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. Our goal is for people who need help to seek it, for family members and friends to know how to provide proper support and to save lives. Welcome to No Shame on You's 41st podcast. We're so excited today because we have a special guest to us with us who is near and dear to No Shame on You, um, a current board member named Daniel Warshawski. Daniel is a current PsyD student at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Most recently, he worked as the engagement director for the Midwest branch of United Synagogue Youth, USY, the youth movement for the conservative Jewish teens in North America. In this role, he worked with professional staff and teen leaders from throughout the Midwest to create and implement innovative social, educational, and leadership programming for teens. He received a Bachelor's of Arts in Communications, Jewish Studies, and Marketing from Indiana University, same place as me, and received his master's degree just recently in clinical psychology. Daniel is extremely passionate about mental health awareness and thus his activity as a board member on No Shame on You, um, which you know about, our listeners know about. He has also received certifications in youth and adult mental health first aid, applied intervention skills training, assist, and has facilitated support groups for teens. He's frequently asked to speak about the topic of mental health at schools, synagogues, and community organizations within Chicago. Daniel, welcome to our podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Wonderful. So tell us about you and your mental health journey. Fill us in. Uh I guess I would say my mental health journey started, um, I mean, I guess it depends where I where I look at it from. I could say that it started in high school, um, but at, at that point, I probably would could tell you that I didn't know about it. Um, so I, I guess I would say my, my real mental health journey started um, a little bit after college. Um, I was serving in the the IDF and was injured and had a lot of difficulty getting um medical care from the from the people that were supposed to be giving me medical care and because of that just had a very intense mental health experience um that kind of changed the the course of my life um since then I've gotten involved with no shame on you I did my first um mental health first aid training with no, with no shame on you is where I met Miriam. Um, and from there, I started incorporating mental health work into the work that I was doing for, for youth in Chicago, um, which eventually led me to apply for a, a doctorate in clinical psychology. Um, so you could say that mental health kind of um, influenced the entire rest of the course of my life. So two questions, one for our listeners who aren't familiar, what is the IDF and where um, were you? Yes, thank you. Um, the IDF is the Israel Defense Force. Um, I was serving in the Israeli army um, after college. Um, 
and had a very interesting experience there. So did you say you got injured while you were there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And from that injury, tell us a little bit more of, of what happened there. So I, um, I had, I had a foot injury, um, that was like pretty routine and, uh, you know, often young Israeli soldiers who were 18, I was 23 at the time. So a little bit older than them. Cause I did it after college. A lot of times young Israeli soldiers want to get days off. So they fake injuries. Um, and my medic was convinced that that's what, what, I, what I was doing. And because of the bureaucracy that exists in the army, you can't really go to a doctor on base unless the medic sends you there. Um, so I basically kind of hung out in limbo land of um, continuing to train on a on an injured foot that got worse and worse over time um, and constantly being told that my injury kind of, you know, wasn't um, wasn't real. And the combination of that of those experiences caused me to uh, really, really dive into like a deep depression that was uh, very difficult to get out of. Um, and, you know, when you're in a situation where you're carrying a weapon around with you all the time and you're very depressed, it's it can be really scary. Um, so eventually I was released from the army on a mental health discharge um, because of that experience. and. Um, it took a long time to heal from that experience, but I guess I would say the metaphor that I kind of use is that um, I kind of view life at this point like the trajectory, the trajectory of an arrow, and sometimes some things pull you back, but when you release them, they go forward in the in the in a new direction that you wouldn't have expected. Um, so that's what happened to me. I went forward in a new direction that I wouldn't have expected. Um, but that ultimately has been really beautiful and healing and special. That's amazing. And I, I have heard, including in my own life, you know, stories of that where, where life is not linear and something happens and there's a tweak and, um, a life quake sometimes I call it. And, um, while it's hard in the moment, often, often we, we charge forward with it. So thank you for sharing that. Were you planning on staying in Israel long-term or is that is that what brought you back here to the States? I think that if you had asked me at that point, yes, I, had, I was absolutely um, planning on staying there. Um, I think that I needed, a, a, after that experience, I had a lot of healing to do both in terms of um, my own mental health, as well as my relationship with with Israel, um, which is another very complicated aspect of my life that like, we don't necessarily need to go into in this moment, because I think that it would take the the entire rest of the podcast. But um, yeah. So reflecting back one one last follow up question mm -hmm. to to your experience when you were 23. Looking back, was that your first mental health challenge? Or looking back, do you do you do you think now that you might have had some things growing up? I think as I went through my healing process um, after coming back to the States and really diving into myself and who I am and who and, and the things that have that I've experienced over the course of my life, it's very it's become very clear to me that I was depressed throughout high school and throughout college. Um but I didn't have the language to express it to anyone. 
people weren't talking about it in the way that people talk about it now. And no one really like told me that that's, that that's what I was feeling. Um, I think that they're like, looking back, there are very clear signs on like issues that, that, that I was experiencing. Like I, there was a semester, my junior year of high school where I just like, didn't do homework, um, for one of my classes and no one said, Hey, Daniel, you're, um, you're a pretty good students. And right now you're not turning anything in is everything like what's, what's going on here. Um, and that's not necessarily anyone's fault because like people weren't taught to look for those signs. Um, teachers weren't taught to look for those signs, like family members weren't. So, um, in those moments, I was, I, I didn't really understand what was going on, but looking back, I really can see, um, a longstanding pattern. Yeah, I can relate to that for sure. Um, tell us what role does your identity as a LGBTQ plus individual play in your mental health journey? Um, I would say that it's definitely a part of it. I, I kind of have a, un I don't know if it's unique, but a, a very specific relationship between my mental health and my queerness. Um, I don't think that I would have realized that I was bisexual had I not gone through what I went through in the army um, and in my healing process coming back, because I think um, in a lot of ways in, in, in the very extensive therapy that I've since, that I've done since then, um, I realized that like in a lot of ways is my relationship with Israel was filling in a hole that I didn't really know existed. Um, and the hole was that there was this completely other part of me, um, that I wasn't acknowledging or understanding or even like aware of. And that part of me was this bisexual identity. Um, so I think that there's like a very clear relationship to me there that, um, had I not had to do this entire rebuilding of my sense of self and identity um, because of this experience that I had with with um, with depression and, and suicide ideation, um, I might not have gotten to this point in my life where I know who I am and I'm happy with who I am. Um, and I, I, I would say that, like, on the flip side, um, much of, like, my, like, mental health experience has also nothing to do with my LGBT identity. So like I credit it in some ways with being able to, with giving me the tools and the strength to be able to figure out who I am. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's been like a, a source of so much distress since coming to terms with it. Interesting. Thank you. And so did you have, I think you mentioned this already in the beginning, did you have an interest in mental health at all, like in college? And you're, it, it sounds like it became an interest after that experience. Um, and when did it become like a passion? Um, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, I had absolutely no interest in mental health when I was in college. I took one psychology class, was like, this is the worst class I've ever been in. I, I never want to do this ever again. Um, I thought I was going to go into like marketing and communications. Um, and like, if not that something in the Jewish education world, um, but yeah, I would say that it, that it definitely became a passion after, um, coming back from, from Israel. For me, I, I guess I would say that like, often things don't become passions for people until they really affect them. 
And this was something that really deeply affected me. Um, but you didn't do immediately. What did you do? You worked for USY first. Yeah. So I, I worked for Jewish Federation for, for a couple months um, at, and it's at Springboard. Um, and then I took a trip to Israel, um, and came back and I realized that I, there was so much that I hadn't processed. Um, so I took, took some time off and participated in a partial hospitalization slash intensive outpatient therapy program, um, at Compass Health Center in Northbrook. And that experience completely changed my life. Um, it taught me how my brain works. It taught me how I think it helped uncover my values. It helped me process a lot of things. Um, and it gave me this deep, like love of the way that our minds work and gave me tools to not just help myself, but help the people around me and, um, gave me language to discuss these things that I believe are so important. And I would say because of like that, um, that experience at Compass, I, I definitely developed like a passion and that's, that was, I, I definitely, the, my decision to get a doctorate in clinical psychology started when I was there. Wow. And so how, how long did it take from that time until you signed up for the program? So I did, I was at Compass from April to late May, 2018. Um, and then my graduation from Compass was, I took a trip to Israel for a friend's wedding. Okay. Uh, which was a very um, interesting experience. Um, I got back and started working for USY. And there was some prerequisite courses that I needed to take because I wasn't a psych major in college. So I took those courses online over the course of um, the, the four-ish years that I worked for USY. And then during um, the COVID lockdown was when I decided to officially apply for, for the program. Okay. Started right after COVID. Um, I, I wouldn't say COVID ended, but right. I started in, in August of 2021. Thank you. And jumping back to your experience in the partial program, did you find, you know, for any of our listeners who think considering going or they're participating now, or just for a general education, did you did you find that you felt like an immediate sense of of community and felt better, or did it take did it take a long time? And 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 did you feel better like months after? I just want I would love to get a sense of that. I, you could I, I don't know how to like say this in the right words, but I the amount that I didn't want to go to Compass was so high. Um, I knew that I had to, but I was like, I had no frame of reference for what something like that would look like for what a, for what an intensive 9am to 3.30pm every single day. Program would be like. Yeah. I, the only thing that you can picture is what you see in movies, which is like group therapy in a hospital where everyone is like talking about their problems. And my thought was, how are any of these people going to relate to the things that I've, ex to like the things that I need to process? Um, right. And so it, it definitely was a learning curve. I will say that like, there are many positive things that I took from, that I take from my experience in the army. And one of them is a jump in feet first mentality of like, if you're here, you might as well be here and do it. Um, so I think that I had 
less of a learning curve than other people, just because at, at the end of the first week, I was like, you know what? I'm here. I might as well dive in. Um, but it's it was scary. And um, luckily, I was at a place um, with people who were very understanding and able to like let people come in at their own pace. Um, but it's it's something that is even with the fear because even with that fear, it's worthwhile because the fear just comes from a place of not of not knowing what you're getting into. Um, and what you're getting into is something that is going to help you. So. And how, how, how many, yeah. And did you feel like there was some immediate relief or did it take time? It took time. It takes time. Yeah. I actually have a binder um, from that whole experience. You get like a binder on your first day and every single day you go there, you track your mood on a scale from one to a hundred. I don't know if this is what they still do, but this is what I was doing when I was there. And you track, you track your mood at the, at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. And now I have a physical like bundle of papers that show my trajectory from like being very, very low on that scale to being like pretty high on that scale. Um, and I, there was like a very serious shift, I would say about two and a half weeks in for me when I really started to like get it and, and do the homework that I was giving myself and, and really participate um, in an active way. Thank you for sharing that. I think that perspective is good, you know, for, for people to hear. Um, so you're getting your PsyD and what do you, I'm just curious, what do you plan to do with it? What would you want to be in private practice? Do you want to do um, work for a, a, an organization? Like, like you shared that the compass program, what are you thinking that way? Um, that's the big you question, know. isn't it? Uh, yes. I, I would say I was working at a private practice for one of my internships this past year, and I absolutely loved it. It was one of the best work experiences I've ever had. And I feel like the work that I got to do there was interesting and impactful and meaningful. Um, next year, I'm working at a community health organization um, called the Center on Halstead, which works um, specifically with the LGBT community in Chicago. Um, so I'll I'll be able to, once I, once I graduate, I'll have a kind of a grab bag of experiences to, to influence what I, what I end up doing. Ultimately, I would, I want to be working with um, adolescents and emerging adults um, struggling with issues related to identity, whether that's LGBT identities, um, religious identity, personal things. Um, I believe that like that work is really impactful and formative for people. Um, and that's a really formative time in a person's life. So Absolutely. Whatever I do, it'll probably be with that crowd. Okay. I can't wait to see. I cannot wait to see. No Thanks. rush. You too. Take your time. And um, I can't wait to see it. Um, in addition to your career choice, um, do you do anything else as a mental health advocate? I know you, you're, you're clearly on the board, board of No Shame on You, um, but any other thing that you want to highlight? Um. Between being on the board of No Shame on You, being a full-time student, plus having a 24-hour week internship, and also being a teaching assistant, um, I don't have I don't have much time to do anything. 
um, when people, when, when people or organizations ask me to do work for or with them regarding mental health or LGBT awareness, um, I always jump at the opportunity to do things like that. Um, so I've done, I've done other work, um, with, um, organizations working with, um, youth mental health, um, particularly an organization called, there was a series called Healing the Healers that worked with, um, um, youth professionals in religious settings to talk about mental health and the crisis um, and issues that are affecting teens right now. Um, and that was one of my my favorite things that I've done. Um, but with all the stuff that's on my plate right now, I, I try to keep it to like the one-off things if I can. That makes sense. That leads me to a next question, Daniel. As a mental health advocate, a mental health um future doctor um, and graduate student now, how do you balance it all? And what do you do to, what do you do to cope and keep it all together? Cause it's uh, a lot. I have a really, really fantastic support system, both in school and out of school. Um, I have incredible faculty who I work with and work for who um, are highly supportive and I'm always able to ask them questions. I've had supervisors at work, um, that truly were like some of the best people that I've ever worked for, who made sure that I was taking, that I've been taking care of myself. Um, I have a really great group of peers in my program, um, who have developed into really just like a little, a little family. Um, and we all consult with each other on different things that we're dealing with, and we make sure to spend time together outside of school settings. Um, and I also have a really great group of friends from outside of school that I've built in Chicago over the last eight years of living here. Um, and we use Shabbat together almost um, every week if we're all in town. Um, and that's that's really been my way of um decompressing and managing the stress is being with the people that I love and care about and um, maintaining those relationships and having fun with people that I love. And I also read a lot. What do you like to read for an escape? Are you, are you, or do you read, you know, no, I mean, I have to read for school all the time, yes, but, yes. but, but outside of that, um, I kind of have this, like the, 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 the queer teen in me that didn't get to exist when I was a teen has like this thirst for like young adult queer fiction. So I have like an entire bookshelf of that. Um, and so any, I love reading like little rom-coms and um, fun books like that. I think that I've read like, um, what some, there's, there, there are books that I've read like 13, 14 times that I just keep going back to because they just make me feel so, so good. That's great. That's good advice. I don't often read the same book twice, but maybe I should have a, have a good one because you probably pick up nuances you didn't see the first time. Yeah. And it's like watching a movie that you love over and over again. Yeah. That which I've I, done. Which I also do. Book. I'm going to try it. So no shame on you, as you know, because you're part of the family is, is dedicated to eliminating stigma surrounding mental health challenges. And just with your lens, you know, how, how do you think the landscape is shifting over time. And do you think it has changed or remained the same or any difference in the LGBTQ plus community as well? So two fold question. All right, I'm gonna take 
the first half of the question first, and then you're going to have to remind me of what the second half of the question is because I'm going to forget it as I'm talking about this. You got it. You got it. Um, I would say the the landscape of conversations about mental health has shifted drastically since I was a kid. Um, I think like the biggest shift is that kids have the language to talk about these things now, um, which I think is the best way to end stigma is providing people with the language to understand what, what they're feeling, what their friends are feeling and how to help each other and themselves. Um, I think con continuing that trend is the best way to continue eliminating stigma. I believe, I, I believe that the, the best and easiest way to do these things is to have is to speak intentionally with with the people that we care about and to stray away from those like hey how are you how you doing um i'm good how are you like pleasantries at the beginning and actually ask people like how are you feeling right now how are you feeling today um and really creating space between um people to have these conversations um i think also like talking to our friends and family and people that we meet about like what how to best support them. We talk about like how to have fun with people when you meet them. You talk about like interests and all these things, but we don't really talk about like when I'm down, this is what I need from the people around me. Um, so teaching people to like ask that question instead of assuming um, to do what, what we would want. So like some, there are some people that really want solution focused, like problem solving when they're venting. There are other people that are just like, shut up. I want to, I just want to talk and vent and be heard. Um, and there's everything in between that. And I think that if we take a pause before we give someone support and, and ask them, are we looking for solutions? Are we looking for just like listening? Do you want me to like put a hit on this person <laughs> that you're venting about? Like whatever it is, um, making sure to ask those types of questions, I think is really important. Well, I love that because I think any human, whether you're a kid or an adult or a senior or a teen way about them. And so I think that's incredible advice. And it's making me think of my best friend from high school, Claire. And Claire, I used to dump on in high school. And um, I didn't realize at the time, similar to you, that I had anxious tendencies and I was an anxious person. And she would always say, she wouldn't give me advice. She'd just say, I know, I know. And now when I'm 46 years old, I still talk to Claire a couple times a year, you know, and I'll say, Claire, I need an I know conversation. She doesn't give me advice. She doesn't sure. tell me what to do. Just an I know. So I love that. I think that's excellent advice and not to be afraid. What I like what you're saying is not to be afraid to ask someone what they need. Because mm -hmm. um, everyone needs something different. That's why the world is so great. Right. And I should put a disclaimer. I'm not advocating for anyone putting a hit on anyone if their friends are feeling down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Good advice and good disclaimer. <laughs> Um, remind me the second half of the question. Oh, the second half was do, looking with a, with a lens on the LGBTQ plus community. Do you think that there, you know, where are we as far as mental health stigma with the work you've done or, and seen? Um, I think that I would say that in terms of like mental health stigma, it's, I would say it's very much in the same place. Um, I think that I have a, a, my experience with entering the LGBT community is from the, from the perspective of, bi, of a bisexual. Um, and from that lens, I would say that 
often it's it's it can be hard to feel queer enough um, to be part of that community. And I think that that's something that that the community needs to continue reckon, reckoning with and something that they have been reckoning with um, for a long time. Um, I also would say that like generally people's conversations around LGBT um, awareness and inclusivity and being embracing of that community often re revolves around trauma and mental health. Um, and I think that remembering that like being LGBT in and of itself is not a trauma, is not a risk fact. Like it is not necessarily something that like means that you have had traumatic experience and you are going to have a mental health um, issue. Um, mental health issues and traumatic experiences are prevalent within that community. Um, but it, I think focusing on this community as a community of joy and belonging is something that is most impactful, um, particularly for young people who are figuring out their own identities and, and trying to just make sense of the world um, and of who they are. When we constantly hear about like the words LGBT and trauma or LGBT and suicide in the same sentences, um, that can be really scary to feel like, is this something that's going to happen to me? Is this something that I'm going to end up dealing with? And so I think that like, it's very important to continue conversations about um, the impact of oppression on LGBT, on the LGBT community, um, the, particularly the mental health impact on that, um, particularly for young trans kids right now. Um, but it's also important to be showing stories of queer joy and queer, um, just like uplifting, um, happy moments in those in, in those stories because there are many of them and they deserve being heard and seen. I really love it. I love it. You, you articulated that so nicely, and I think it's a it's an important message. Um, so we're let's fast forward. Where do, where do you hope you and the world of mental health will be in twenty years if you could? vision it out what are your hopes and dreams daniel oh god um that's a big one i hope i have a job okay i like it <laughs> although ultimately i hope that i won't need to have a job i guess i guess it's weird the goal of my job is putting myself out of a job um but i would say that i hope that we continue these conversations i hope that the world moves in a place where we continue living from living and learning from a place of love and openness as opposed to like fear and closed offness. Um, I would hope that communities can learn to coexist and embrace each other with open arms. Um, and I hope that people continue giving themselves and, and others the language and space to like explore these things. Um, particularly the language and space to, to explore mental health issues um, because there's still a lot of shame. Um, and I know that the name of our organization is no shame on you, but, but that shame is still there. And I hope that in 20 years we can um, continue alleviating it. We're getting there, but we got a long way to go. So I agree with you. And we're so grateful that you're on our team, Daniel. And um appreciate all that you do in all of your vast amounts of free time, um, which we know you don't have. So we are so grateful. Um, anything else that you want to share? Um, if people want to connect with you, 
do you have a social media handle? And if not, they can wait till you go into practice one day. <laughs> but I wanted to throw that out there. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, they can find me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I hope that if people have things to talk about and if they've if if I'm the person that they want to talk about those things with, lovely. Um, it's important to remind people that I don't yet have my full degree and I'm not licensed, but I'm always um I I love talking to and meeting new people. Um and I hope to just continue building this community and expanding it to more and more people who um can benefit from this incredible organization because um I really believe in the work that we do. And I think that everyone, everyone on the board, everyone that works for No Shame on You, everyone that's a volunteer is so passionate about this world. Um, and I hope that we can continue opening this world up to the rest of the world. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. Passion is a powerful force that can't be stopped. And so we aren't going anywhere. And, and thank you for being on our team. And uh, we'll see everybody soon. Thank you.